Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Good morning. Thanks for coming. You can stand up just a little longer if you would. I won't be long in terms of having you stand, but uh, it's great to be at City Hills today. It is so awesome to be here. I was reminded as I uh, came to San Antonio this weekend that 2017, I think it was, about that time, five or six years ago, uh, I was visiting with uh, your pastors, and during that visit, Pastor Mitch uh, asked if I wanted to go for a ride, and I said, sure, so we drove out to a business park in the area of San Antonio, in this Bernie area. We went to this business park, and in the business park was this field. I think you'll see a picture here. It's a big old field. And so we stood there at that field, and we just did kind of what it looks like we're doing. We're just talking, prayed a little bit, and he's showing me all this kind of stuff in his mind. Like, this would be a great piece of land. I'll never forget this conversation. And uh, he said, you know, we could, we could build a, put a building here, and we could, you know, we could go out this way, and there's that road, whatever road that is. He called it by name. I don't remember what road it was. And he said, just dream it, you know, dream it. Man, it was so exciting. You could just you could feel the energy as he's describing this. And uh, that was like 2017, I guess it was. Here's the good news. We're standing in that field. Isn't that cool? We're in that field right now. That's awesome. God has such a way of bringing things to pass, doesn't he? When you understand who you are and who God is and the vision he's given, man, that's so incredible. And so I just am so grateful that that building that we're in right now is right there and we can be a part of that. Aren't you glad what God's doing at City Hills? Amen. Amen. He's doing awesome stuff. He really is. Thank you again for the hospitality. Let me come. I appreciate it. It's always great to be here. Always feel at home. Fact is, I just came really for Henry and Hazel. That's the bottom line. Uh, Henry told me today something I didn't know. The Astros won the World Series. I know that. I know they won the World Series. But he was excited about that. Maybe you are too. But I'm glad to be here today. Um, Thank you to my wife and my daughter, uh, Allie in Miami. And Michaela in Fayetteville, all three of them, Baltimore, Miami, and Fayetteville, are joining us online today. So I'm glad to worship with them. And uh, I love them very, very much. Let's look at the Bible together while you're standing, if you don't mind. Philippians chapter 1, it'll be on the screen. But also, while it's on the screen, if you have a copy of the Bible or you have a device and you can turn to that passage of Scripture, Philippians 1, that would be good. And leave that open, if you would, in the next few moments. Philippians chapter number 1. We'll begin reading with verse number 19, Philippians 1. The Apostle Paul is the writer, and in verse 19, he states, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, we'll we'll talk about what this is in a second, this will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 21, for to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means this. That means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I can't tell. He goes on internalizing what he's saying. Here it is. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, listen to these words, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. One more verse, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or not, or whether I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I want to preach from Philippians 1, this, this, this thought, this is how we live. Love for you to say that to a neighbor next to you. Say that phrase, this is how we live. This is how we live. Amen. Let's pray as we remain standing just a moment longer. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the uh, preached word today. Would you pray with me, everybody? Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the privilege of opening up the Bible today. We do so, God, with great respect for what you've given to us through your word. We're asking, God, that the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he would now illuminate our minds and our hearts to understand what he inspired in the first place, Lord. Let our hearts be open to what you have for us. Help me to be able to communicate, not just effectively, but but biblically and accurately, Lord. I pray that every one of us, myself included, ultimately, God, today, because of the Bible, would be pointed toward Jesus Christ. I pray you'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you for standing with me. It, it is certainly an understatement, but life is full of choices, no doubt about it. Every day, in fact, today, in fact, we are faced with decisions that we have to make, lots of them. Uh, I, I was reminded of this fact last Tuesday, a few days ago, Tuesday. I walked into work, and there on the counter, we have a rather tall counter at work, and on the top of the counter was this huge bowl. I mean, it had probably be that, that big around, huge bowl. And, you know, I'm not an extremely tall person, so when I walked up to the already tall counter, I had to kind of tippy-toe it to look inside the bowl. And in the bowl this past Tuesday was candy, lots of candy. And so... I felt the Holy Spirit when I saw that candy. And so one of my colleagues, it became clear to me, one of my colleagues didn't get many trick-or-treaters the night before because it rained bad time in, in, uh, uh, during Halloween the day before. And so she brought all her leftovers, which was probably most of the gigantic Sam's Club bag, into work and dumped it in this huge bowl. And this is the, what I'm staring at. And so as I stared in this bowl full of candy... I had a choice to make. I did. The choice was a Reese's peanut butter cup. Mm. I felt something there, too. I'm not sure what that was, but that was great. Or the second choice was five Reese's peanut butter cups. And I I went for the latter. Anyone with me there? Anyone with me? Yeah, yeah. Lots of choices in life. Uh, This coming Tuesday, a lot of you here today are going to have a choice. Is it going to be O'Rourke or is it going to be Abbott? And you're going to have to decide if you haven't already. And there are a lot of feelings, I'm sure, one way or the other. In fact, today, let's forget Tuesday, today you're going to have a choice. Here in just a few minutes when I'm done preaching and we've wrapped up the service and we all kind of go out to the lobby and slap some backs and hug some necks and Say, I'll see you in a a day or two, and we get in our car, and if you have kids, you strap them in the back there and try to wrestle them through that, and you 
turn on the car and you, you sit there with your family, if the family came with you, you're going to turn to someone next to you and you're going to say the same question that almost every other family is going to say. You're going to say, where do you want to eat? Now, I just want to make a quick PSA to all the unmarried folks here. That one question will bring you more angst in your life out of any other thing in your whole life. If we drive by uh, City Hills at 2.30 this afternoon and we see cars in the parking lot, it's just people still having to decide where they're going to eat. It's a choice every single Sunday. Anyone raise their hand and say, yeah, I've lived in that neighborhood before. Yeah, me too. Uh, There are choices, all kinds of choices. And I I take great comfort in knowing that as we read the Bible, it's so much more than just a historical book. But the the man that we read about in Philippians chapter 1, the man who wrote to this group of Christian believers in Philippi, he himself could relate to choices. In fact, in the first chapter, he faced a huge, gigantic choice. Now, understanding it for a moment, let's look at the the background of of Philippians. You you may be aware, but the Apostle Paul wrote this book to Christians in an ancient city called Philippi. If you know anything about geography, we're talking about Greece, that area of Europe. In fact, Philippi was the first church in that area of the world that the Apostle planted and established 10 years before he wrote these words in Philippians. And the Philippian church and the Apostle Paul had a lot of things going on, a wonderful, warm relationship. If you read through the whole book of Philippians, you just just feel the love that the Apostle has for the believers. And so much so that the believers in Philippi, many times in Paul's ministry before this book was written, they would send people to Paul to see how he was doing and be a blessing to him. And that's referenced throughout the entire book of Philippians, and Paul had been a follower of Jesus 25 years. Some of you know, remember Acts 9 when the apostle was knocked off as, as, as Saul. He was knocked off his horse, and he was converted miraculously and became a follower of Jesus. We're now 25 years past that, and he's writing these words to Philippi, and in the sense that we read it in chapter 1, we are hearing the apostle struggle through the idea that he sees the end of his life coming. He doesn't know exactly all about the end, but he's sensing some kind of issue. Why? Because he's writing this from prison in Rome. He's been in prison many other times, but now this is a little different evidently because he's sensing this finish line on the horizon of his life. There's there's uncertainty about how this imprisonment is going to shake out. The the pressure of the persecution from, from the Roman authorities is getting more severe. The end is becoming more of a possibility, and it's in that setting that he's writing these words, and we read this question that he's wrestling with and this choice he's having to make, and the choice is this. Do I want to live or do I want to die? And what's fascinating, his, his, his question is answered by himself this way. I don't know. Think about that for a moment. If we did a hand poll for a moment and said, how many of you want to live or die? The living people would be 100%. For Paul, he's like, ah, I'm not sure. Why? Because to live, I could help you, Philippians. I could continue to minister to you. But to die would be gain for me. In fact, he said, in my flesh or in my spirit, I want to go to heaven. I I want to be with Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 says, for to me, to live is Christ. 
and to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor, but I'm hard-pressed on each side. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you, but my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. Did you catch it, City Hills? If, if I make it out of this alive, that's good because I get to keep helping you. But if I don't make it out and the end does come and if I die, that seems even better. What we're reading when we read this, this dilemma, this choice that he's making, we're getting the first clue of how we're to live our life. And that's this. How do we live? This is how we live. We live more fully aware that this life is not all there is. I want to, I want to just help someone today. I know in a, in a church our size, there's certainly, undoubtedly, people who are slugging through some stuff right now. And I just want to speak a word into your life. This is not all there is. I'm not saying you ignore what you're walking through because that would be foolish as well. But it's not defining all of your life because there's coming something better. The apostle understood if I stay, that's good because I get to help you all. But if I die, I get Jesus. What prompted him to say that? It was a full awareness that this isn't all there is. I'm convinced that as we go along in life, the apostle helps us understand this. Our desire for heaven increases. Our desire to be with Jesus increases. Why? Perhaps it's because going to heaven would mean for Paul that no more temptation and sin. Praise God. Maybe it's because he realized going to heaven meant being reunited with brothers and sisters who had gone to heaven before him. Maybe it was simply because going to heaven meant being with Jesus in a closer and better way than ever before. I want to encourage someone today, for us as Christians, there is coming a day when the one that we have talked about and we prayed to and we preached about and we've given to and we've sung about and the one who's been on our minds every day the one who's been in our hearts every morning, the one who's walked through the mess with us, the one who's lifted us up when we're down, the one who's healed our body and held together our life, the one who's never left us and he's never forsaken us, the one who started our faith, the one who's going to finish our faith. One day, we're going to stand before that one. We're going to understand the prophet's word when he wrote, Isaiah did, I saw him sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There is coming a day when our imagination of how heaven will be is going to become a reality. Heaven is real. Amen. Finally, we're going to see the one that we've only read about, talked about, we're going to stand face to face with him. And the apostle knew this. It's what caused him to be hard decision. I want to go and be with him. It's what motivated Paul that this isn't all there is. We sang a song years ago when I was growing up in Chicago at our church. And I love the lyrics of it. There will be no sorrows there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness and no more pain. No more parting over there. But forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. 
a glorious day that will be. Can I just apply it? Can I just hammer the nail just for a moment today? In your life and in my life, when we leave here today and you start walking through it, and it's tough, and you can't quite seem to be encouraged, speak out loud, this isn't all there is. Just say it. You may be at H-E-B in the middle of the aisle. Say it. You may be at home getting off a phone conversation with someone that really gives you some angst. Just say it. I want to make it real practical. This coming Tuesday, two days from now, back in Baltimore, I, I shared back in May, I, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back seven years ago, six years ago. And as a part of my therapy and as a part of my treatment, I have to go every November and I have to get an MRI and it takes a long time. They, they're going to do a brain MRI at 7 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday, November 8th. That's just two days from now. And I'm going to walk into Johns Hopkins Radiology and they're going to, hey, we're glad to have you, Mr. Gaddy. Thank you for coming. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And they're going to usher me back and they're going to give me one of those blue robes. Oh, they're awesome. I'm going to change in one of those blue robes. I'm going to lay down on this hard plastic sliding platform. And they're going to put a, a face mask right here and right here. Boom. And they're going to say, are you ready? And I'm going to say, do I have a choice? No. And they're going to slide me back. And they're going to start to radiate my, move over my brain area, figure out what's going on with my brain. Are the lesions still there? Are they advancing? What do we need to see? And they're going to do that for an hour. I'm going to lay perfectly still. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say out loud in the tube Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. This isn't all there is. They're probably going to buzz up and say, excuse me, did you say something, Mr. Gaddy? Yes, I did. This isn't all there is. Why? Because there's coming a day. I don't know when it's going to be, but there's coming a day when one by one we're going to enter into a place that has no more sickness, no more MRIs, no more struggle, no more temptation, no more sin. Does anyone believe that this isn't all there is? Praise God. Hold on to that, City Hills. Hold on to that. The apostle knew this. That's why he struggled with the choice. And yet when he began to think about it more, the, his intimacy and his love for the, the church just shone through. Because in the next verse, verse 25, you hear these words, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, he says to them, in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And then he makes a request. It's a simple, short, but profound request. He says only, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Another translation says it this way, behave as citizens of a different kingdom. Walk in such a way that your life reproduces the gospel. It, it gives essence of the gospel. In other words, Paul understood that this wasn't all there is, and he lived his life fully aware of that. But secondly, how do we live, and how did he live? This is how we live. We live a life that never stops applauding what Jesus has done for us. Jesus Christ has saved us from sin. Man, if I could do a backflip right now, I would. What is the gospel? That's the word of the verse. Gospel. Let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel? 
We don't have to make it up. We can see it. Same writer, Paul. Different church again. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I remind you, he says, brothers of the gospel, that I preach to you. Verse 3. For I delivered you as first importance that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with those scriptures. That's the gospel. See, there was a dilemma. And every time I think of it, I just can't get past it. Here's the dilemma. There's a completely holy God on one side, and there's a completely unholy people on the other side. I'm in this category. And there's a big gap in between that holy God and unholy people. And for years and decades and centuries and millennia, this unholy people has been trying to make up the gap. They try to be better. They try to act better. They try to think better. But they find that nothing can get them to a holy God because there's separation. And yet God, on this side, the holy God, knew the gap was going to be there from the very beginning. And the Bible says he put in form a plan to bridge the gap. And in walks Jesus Christ. Jesus walks into the world, gives himself on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again, perfected. Why? So that the unholy people could now look at the perfection of Jesus Christ and what he did for them. And when they do that, they put on the righteousness of Jesus so now when the holy God looks at the unholy people he sees Jesus and his rightness and we're brought close to that holy God Jesus was God bringing us close to him God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself through Christ that's good news because I've tried everything. Is there anybody here who would say, yeah, me too. I've tried being better. Anybody? I've tried not doing such and such. I've tried not doing this. And it works for about three days. And then you realize the gap's still there. You know what the good news is? The good news is that Jesus Christ paid our price so that we didn't have to keep on trying. And we now look at what he did once and for all, finished work. And because of what he did, we are made close to God through faith. That's good news. And a life is lived well if we live a life that never stops applauding what Jesus has done for us. I want to go to heaven. I am going to go to heaven. You know how I'm going to go to heaven? Clapping the whole way. Why do I clap the whole way? Not because I'm good, but because Jesus is good on my behalf. When I walk up to the gate in heaven, they're going to see a guy clapping. What are you clapping for, Gaddy? I'm clapping because Jesus got me here. <laughs> on whose authority are you walking into heaven? On his authority, Jesus Christ. He's the one that got me here. I'm just thankful for that. I'm never going to get past that because the gospel brought me to where I am. I'm going to live my life on this end of heaven by reflecting that kind of gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The, 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 great, the great theologian, you probably have heard of her, the great theologian Janis Joplin, she wrote a song back in 1971. And she wrote a song that sums up our condition before Jesus Christ. It's a great title. It's very hard to understand the words of the title, but it, it just sums up this way. You're no good. I'd love for you to turn to someone and say, you're no good. Turn to one other person and say, you're no good. 
One other person say, you're no good. And then one more, baby, you're no good. Just say that, baby, you're no good. You're no good. Todd, you're no good. No good thing could come from my life. I had to have outside help. But praise God, Jesus walked into my life and he made something possible for me through his death and burial and resurrection. Jesus Christ has given me his good news and I can't stop thanking him for that. I live my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse says it this way. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus Christ did for me what I could never do for myself. And because of Jesus, my proximity to God has changed for good. And now I live a life reflecting that good news. The one who made it possible. So let me again get practical. Why do we go all in in our faith community? Because Jesus went all in. Why do we give in every way? Because Jesus gave in every way. Why does commitment become a lifestyle for us? Because Jesus defined commitment. Why do we love everybody and reach for everybody? Not because we're special, but because we're simply reflecting the gospel. We're reflecting what Jesus has done on our behalf. We live the gospel worthy of the gospel. The apostle struggled with the decision of life and death, but realized there was more to life than just this. The apostle understood that, that my life is reflecting the good news, and I never want to get past that and live a life worthy of that. But I think thirdly, the apostle told us at the close of the chapter that there's another reason of how we should live. The end was approaching. The apostle spoke plainly about his own life again. Verse 20, he said, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then mentioning that desire for those, pe those people to walk worthy of the gospel, he then mentions these two words, don't miss them, so that, live your life worthy of the gospel, so that, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. How do we live our life? You catch those? One spirit, one mind, together for the gospel. This is how we live. We live with unified hearts and locked Again, I'd love for you to turn to just someone next to you and as much as you can, if you're close by, if you need to scoot over, maybe you can a little bit. I'd love for you just to reach over and physically lock an arm with them. Go ahead and do it. Just lock an arm. And just leave it there for an uncomfortable few moments. You know how we're supposed to end our life? Locked arms. Locked arms. You know what the church is supposed to be about? Men and women with Locked arms, unified hearts. So if they come against your pastor, they come against this 5-7 tornado from Chicago. Yeah. You know why? Because we're locked arms. If they come against my small group, they're coming against the entire small group. That's not just hoo-ha stuff. That's the way we're supposed to live. Side by side, one spirit, one mind, living for the gospel side by side. 
Ephesians 4 says it this way. Same writer, again, different book. Prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called to. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There is something so beautiful about unity. And the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity together, one spirit. This, this drove home to me big time several months ago now. It was February of this year. My wife Brenda and I went to uh, Miami where my, our daughter Allie is senior at the University of Miami. And the purpose of the visit was twofold. Number one, first of all, by far most important, first of all was to see her, get to see her apartment, get to meet her friends. She introduced us to so many. Went to church with her at a great church there. She's so involved in so many things. And gosh, our, our, our buttons were busting the whole weekend. We're so thankful for what God's doing in her life and in her school. That was by far the most important purpose. But a secondary purpose is that I had signed up. I'm a, I'm a runner. I enjoy running. I had signed up for a race in Miami. And it occurred on a Sunday. We got there like on a Friday. And this race occurred on a Sunday. And we were then leaving the next day. And as we got ready on Sunday, I got up early and I got on the train. I had my running clothes on. I had my name on my shirt, you know, all that stuff that weird runners do. I got on the train and took the train down to the central part of Miami. Got off the train. You could hear it from the train when you get off. I mean, they got everything going. They got loud music, Eye of the Tiger. I mean, it's just all over. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Thousands of runners getting ready to run. And they have different waves of runners. You know, they don't all go at one time. They have different waves so you don't run over people. And I had wave, I don't know, 13 or 14. And so I was looking where the waves met. And, you know, there's runners going all the time starting the race. And I couldn't start yet because I had my wave hadn't been called. Finally, wave 13 or wave 14, get in, get in the corral. Okay. Got in the corral. Hundreds and thousands of other runners, runners around me. And they said, all right. Wave 13, on your mark, get set, go. And the music started again. I mean, it's like full bore. Like, just run through a brick wall. I'm ready. Past the starting line, and off we go. We took a right turn about a half mile into the race, and we went over this, this bridge that went on for like half the country. I'm thinking, this is, this is Long Bridge got over to Miami Beach. It's way over here. We stayed in Miami Beach for two or three days at least. Made our way up north and turned back and went over another bridge, past some islands. And by this time, you know, you get to a point when your thought bubble gets crowded. You're thinking, why am I doing this? Right? About over here, Halfway through, I'm coming down. I'm thinking, I paid money to do this. About the time we get down to here, we come to another bridge, but thankfully they U-turned us here and we went back the other direction. I made the turn there and I, I'm living for, for the, the mark right about this area in the, in the race, right there. 
Because that's where my wife Brenda and my, my daughter Allie and her, one of her best friends, Kat, and some sorority sisters from Allie's sorority, they were going to be there. And, and yeah, the finish line was going to be cool, but I just wanted to see my family. And I, I'm making my way down this long road, and I'm looking for anything that looks like a gaddy. Anything. And I finally hear a gaddy. It's my daughter, Allie. I kid you not. You remember the toys, Mr. Microphone? She literally had a Mr. Microphone. And she's standing on the side of the road, right in this area, and she's going, Go get it, get it! You got this, Todd! And I'm thinking, Allie, you have no idea what you're saying! But I finally got to them and gave them a big hug and kiss. They gave me some water. I, I said, I gotta keep going, I got a little bit to go. And I started running past them, and they're cheering me on as I leave. And I go further, and I'm thinking, I still got like seven miles to go. That's the last time I'm going to see them. I, I just very slowly made my way way down over to Coral Gables and all the way up here. And I got to right about this section right there. And I'll never forget what happened. Never in my life forget what happened. I'm running, questioning the meaning of my life. Tired of doing this. I wanted to quit more than anything else. And I saw this guy. He's just a neighbor guy. He wasn't running. He was a neighbor guy on the curb on my right side. He's cheering on runners that are ahead of me. He turns back to where I am. He locks eyes with me. I see him look down at my shirt. And I hear the guy say this. And I quote him. Todd, I believe in you. I don't know what his name was. I'm going to call him Bob. That's just the best name I can think of, Bob. No offense to any Bob here. I just, Bob. And when he said, Todd, I believe in you, I almost went over and kissed the man. I, I didn't. I almost. You know why? Because I needed to hear that right then. And guess what got me to the finish line? Bob. Yeah, it was my tennis shoes. Yeah, I kept running. But Bob believed in me. And when I got to mile 24, Bob. 25, Bob. 25 and a half, Bob. And I see the finish line. You're almost done with the Miami race. I'm thinking, Bob believed in me. Listen, listen, listen. Please hear me. You know what's going to get us to heaven? Standing arm in arm, walking and running and leaping our way into the presence of Jesus Christ. And every so often turning to someone next to you and saying, I believe in you. We're going to make it. We're going all the way. We're going to walk into the presence of the one who saved us. Keep going. Don't give up. You're going to make it. God's with you. He's going to bring you all the way home. So speak life to your brothers and sisters, City Hills. Lock arms with them. Get in that group and lock arms. Get in that group of parents and lock arms and speak life. You never know what your inspiration does for your brothers and sisters. If they're going through a struggle, look them right in the eye and tell them, I believe in you. 
you're going to make it. We are going to get through this together. Maybe today, if the truth be told, maybe today is, is the fact is our life has not as much as possible in the recent past reflected how Jesus lived. And if we're honest, and no one has to tell us this, but we know ourselves, it's not been lived worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let today be the day to start again. God's not mad at you. He just wants you to start again. Commit again. His forgiveness, His grace has no expiration date. Just start again. Maybe... You need to relock arms with people that have drifted. Just lock arms with them again. See, see, we enter heaven individually, but we approach collectively. So lock arms. Do it again. Maybe, maybe the gospel has been a conceptual thought, but never a personal reality. And maybe today you need to make it a reality. How do you do that? You turn from your past the way you've done it, and you turn wholeheartedly to the one in the middle between the unholy God and you, and you trust completely in Jesus. You turn from your way of trying to do it completely to him. And you tell God that. God, I turn to you. I want the good news of Jesus Christ in my life. You got a chance to do that today. We're going to stand together. Everyone, would you stand with me? Wherever you are, by application today, would you talk to the Lord right now with me? All together. No one prays alone, but we pray together before a holy God. Come on, let's lift up our voice and talk to the Lord right now. Let's see what God's going to do as we dedicate to live our life that way. This is how we live. Let's tell him how we're going to do that. Father, we come to you now with grateful hearts, lifted hands. God, lives that are less than perfect in the past, but because of you, we've been made right with God. I thank you for that, Lord. If our life has, has not lived, been lived in a life worthy of the gospel, help us to start again today and the week ahead, God. If we need to reconnect with people around us and live in closer formation side by side in one spirit. Help us to forgive. Help us to be at peace. Help us to be humble and help us to live side by side. And God, I especially pray for any that are here today that have never made the gospel personal in their life. They've never responded with faith in the finished work of Jesus. Let them turn from their past and their sin today repent and be made right as they trust in your work, Jesus. I pray you'll do that in the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us today and a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit City Hills TX com right now and if this message blessed you why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials i pray it's a blessing to others in your world thanks again for listening today god bless you